Hey everybody, welcome to The Drop, ESPN's hockey podcast available every Tuesday and Thursday on all podcasting platforms and on the NHL and ESPN YouTube channel. Uh, it's Greg Wyshynski. I'm here with breaking news before we get rolling with the rest of the show. Dean Evison fired by the Minnesota Wild. John Hines hired by the Minnesota Wild. There's no question the Wild are a disaster this season. Uh, they are 5, 10, and 4 for 14 points in the sand standings. They are 22nd in goals per game. They're second to last in goals against per game. Uh, but in my opinion, Dean Evison becomes the second coach fired this season in the NHL for horrible goaltending. Uh, Jay Woodcroft took the fall in Edmonton for much the same reason. Um, the Wild are seventh in expected goals against uh, right now. Uh, and unfortunately, their goaltending didn't hold up its end of the bargain. Philip Gustafson, who was great last year, has not been great, great this year, an 881 save percentage. Marc-Andre Fleury, an 875 save percentage. Um both have a goal saved above expected of over a negative seven. So well below replacement. But ultimately, just like Woodcroft had to go in Edmonton after the Oilers lost to the lowly San Jose Sharks, there had to be a vibe change in Minnesota. Um, the Wild were winless in seven. They have just four regulation wins on the season. Uh, that's second fewest in the league. It, something had to change. The season was slipping away. Uh, now, is John Hines the answer for the Wild? Good question. I've always liked the guy. I think he's a well-prepared coach. I think he's gotten more out of specious rosters, worse than this one, over his time in the league in, in nine seasons. Um, he's a guy the players seem to like. So as replacements go, he's not a bad one. He was, after all, someone who was very close to getting the New York Rangers job that ultimately went to Peter Laviolette. Uh, ultimately with the wild, I think it's a construction over coaching problem. So we'll see what Hines can do, but you know, there's two things I can't get out of my head about the John Hines hiring. If I'm being honest with you, the first is hockey nepotism. Once again, uh, Billy Guerin, the GM of the Minnesota wild. He was the GM of the Wilkes-Barre Scranton team in the American hockey league that John Hines coached. That was the Pittsburgh Penguins affiliate. So Guerin and Hines had that connection. Hines is also connected to Ray Shiro, a senior advisor for the Minnesota Wild, who hired Hines as the New Jersey Devils head coach uh, and gave Hines his first gig there. So Garen, Shiro, Hines, a big old Penguins reunion in Minnesota. How exciting. The second thing I can't get into my head is this. What, is, what are the Minnesota Wild known for over like the last decade? Uh, it has been an inability to win in the playoffs. Uh, they haven't won a playoff round since 2015, and they just hired a coach in John Hines who has never won a playoff round as a National Hockey League coach. I mean, maybe it works out. Who knows? Maybe two negatives equal positive. Who knows? Best of luck to John Hines, to Billy Guerin, to the Minnesota Wild. They've got some ground to make up in this playoff race. A change had to happen, apparently, and hopefully the Wild can turn things around and make the state of hockey the state of playoffs again. And now, for happier subjects than people losing their gigs, let's talk about major changes to the NHL All-Star Game with myself, Ardo Cal, and ESPN's own Kristen Shilton. Kristen, you wrote an article up on ESPN.com. There are some big changes, some familiar formats returning to the All-Star Game 
I am super pumped about it. I can't wait for the Thursday of that weekend, but fill us in. What's happening at this year's All-Star Game in Toronto? Well, you said it, Arda. There is a Thursday uh, that is going to be added. So instead of the usual two-day event, the NHL is going to an expanded three-day format with NHL All-Star Thursday, where we will see the return of the NHL All-Star Player Draft. And it's going to be the first one that they've done since 2015. Uh, They've done it three times before. Some memorable moments, Phil Kessel being picked last, Alex Ovechkin (laughs) begging to be picked last to get his free car. Uh, It was a lot of fun. And it was uh, the brainchild uh, uh, in part by now uh, Leafs president, uh, Brendan Shanahan. So All-Star Games coming back to Toronto. Bringing back the player draft, and uh, it's going to be a little bit different. The formats, um, they're going to have four all star captains as picked by the league based on the celebrity captain that each player will be paired with. And these will be uh, hockey fans, guys who might already have an affiliation with a certain team or a player, uh, because they really just want this to be something fun and memorable and really kind of jazz up the all-star game. And that's, uh, you know, sort of the impetus behind this big change. Um, Also that Thursday, they're going to have a ceremony honoring um, all the living members of that 1967 Leafs team. Of course, the last one that won a Stanley cup. That's going to go uh, great on social media. I can't wait for that. (laughs) There's going to, I'm sure that there will be some, some reaction to that from the fan base. Uh, and uh, there'll also be a three-on-three showcase of uh, the PWHL uh, and its superstars as well. So that's what's happening on the Thursday. Looking forward to see how they do bring fans into this. It was uh, it really just an opportunity that fans who might not get into the skills competition or the actual All-Star game to have a chance to participate in the weekend and to feel involved uh, and there's going to be some changes to that skills competition as well. We don't know the full breadth of what that's going to look like just yet, but we know changes are coming and it's going to be star driven from what we hear, right, Wish? It'll be very star driven. Uh, I think it's going to be a little bit more limited in scope than we've seen in the past, which is going to be a good thing. And I also think it's going to be more hockey centric in the sense that we might not see a dunk tank in Toronto. And given the temperatures, why would we? But no, I... See, those that's details where we should out. see yeah. No, no. I, I want to know hilarious. who's getting that to... I'm here all year round, friends. I know what it's like. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get the details on that a little bit later. But suffice it to say, the things that the NHL has cooking for skills um, is pretty interesting and pretty cool and pretty different. Now, let's, let's talk about this format for a second. Kristen... You mentioned the draft was something we used to do with the All-Star game for a while. Uh, We remember very distinctly why they don't do it anymore or why they didn't do it anymore, which is that uh, general managers uh, whining about their guys being picked last and the idea of it being some sort of shameful thing if you're picked last. Uh, Has there been like, how are they addressing this? Is there any concern from what you've been able to gather that uh, this isn't going to turn into some rumbling Brian Burke screed about how Phil Kessel was disrespected and things like that. Are we going to be okay coming out of this draft? 
Well, I think they've put uh, a safeguard in place by saying that the last four players available in the draft are going to be assigned by a special guest to their specific teams. So it doesn't sound like there's going to be a last player picked. You know, it's Uh, like we've got our final four and, you know, the final four in a group are going to be assigned to their, their various teams. And, you know, it's funny because... I don't know how much a player would really care about being picked last. I mean, I don't think that it really hurt Phil Kessel too much. Guy went on to win a few Stanley Cups. I don't know if you heard, but he had a pretty good career. And I think everyone knew he was a pretty good player. So uh, it's, you know, and I think in that sense, you, you will get the GMs on board. And the other thing is the players were asked for their feedback. You know, they were asked what they thought the league could do to make the All-Star game better. And when I spoke to Brendan Shanahan about the player draft coming back, you know, he noted that players like that they're being listened to and that the feedback that they're giving is being taken into consideration. So obviously there was a push from the player side as well to jazz the whole thing up. And, you know, when you're playing with Atlantic Division players and Pacific Division players, it's fine. But it's not as fun as maybe playing with someone that you grew up with or that you've always admired or something like that. It's just the player draft is just going to, I think, allow guys to just have a little bit more fun. And those pairings. Yeah. It's like, we see Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid all the time together. Like I want to see Leon Dreisaitl with Austin Matthews, like bring back team North America. You know I knew what I'm it. Saying? I, like this. I knew this entire thing was invented to get Crosby and McDavid on the same team. It's every it's a Canadian conspiracy theory. It's why we're trying to get the Olympics back. It's why we're doing the the fake World Cup. It's just to get Connor and Sid on the same line. It I'm all okay makes sense it. to me now. No, no problem there. No and no one wants to see that more than these three right here. Exactly. <laughs> I like this Team North America idea. They get on the ice. Puck's about to drop right beforehand. They take off the all-star jerseys and the Everybody... Team North America's right there. Exactly. Like, I just love it. Bring it um, back. Kristen, uh, while we have you, why don't we talk about uh, some other things happening around the league? Obviously, you said based in Toronto, you see the team uh, very closely. What is your assessment? This is the time of year where we love to talk about teams, whether they're going to you know, prognosticate about the postseason and how their seasons have been going. Uh, what have you thought about the Leafs season so far? And what do you think about their chances of them possibly making a good playoff run this year? Well, first, I will start with a plug for Greg's story uh, posted earlier this week about the Thanksgiving threshold and how we always talk about U.S. Thanksgiving. Every year, it's like if you're in a playoff spot at this time, you're probably going to still be there in the spring. And I thought Greg did a great job breaking down why this might be a little different. And the Leafs are a team that it's a little different. It just feels like, I mean, what, they've got five regulation wins, I think, in their first 18 games. They've won a lot in overtime, uh, the games that they have won, but they've also let games slip away in really sloppy, uncharacteristically Laze sort of fashion where it just seems like they they sort of lose the plot in the middle and then they try to pick it up at the end and it's this great frantic chaotic run to the finish line 
and they just can't get there. We saw it just last week against Pittsburgh when they're there, you know, they get the lead there. You see them fall behind. They can't get it back there. The power play has been stagnant. You know, you see them passing the puck too much and their goaltending is just not where it needs to be. Uh, Ilya Samsonov, not the player he was last year. Joseph Wall is up and down. And I do think that for any good team, I, I know that you guys have talked about, you know, you'll, or you will talk about Boston or New York or, you know, these juggernaut looking Eastern Conference teams. What do they have? Pretty consistently, they've got great goaltending. And I think a team knows when it's got that. And I don't know if the Leafs totally buy that they've got the right tandem. And that just leads to players in front of them trying to do too much. People, you know, it's just human nature. It's like you want to make up for any deficiency. And I think that that's where the Leafs get in trouble. Uh, I thought William Nylander has had such a, a fantastic year, obviously, Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, they've been a little quieter. There hasn't been uh, quite as much, you know, oomph to their game. And and that's a big part of what makes the Leafs run. So I think they're still looking for that quote unquote best game, the cliched uh, best version of themselves. But I think it's possible they get there, obviously. But lately it's just they've taken too much for granted, I think, at times. And it's come back to hurt them where you can't always think that you're going to be able to put in two goals in the last 30 seconds and force overtime, it's just not going to be a a good recipe for success. I think they're going to be fine. I mean, they'll obviously be inspired by the presence of the 1967 Toronto Maple Leafs championship team in the all-star game. I mean, they were tears in their eyes. Uh, Let's go get them boys. After seeing that stirring ceremony that is clearly designed for an audience of like one. Um, you wrote me and really Kristen just sitting, standing side by side, tears rolling down our faces. <laughs> uh, Kristen, we mentioned the article on All Star that's up on a ESPN.com right now. Uh, what else are you working on? What can fans look forward to this week? Well, we've got our quarter season grades coming out as well, uh, and that's going to be really exciting. So you can check that out later this week on ESPN.com. Kristen, you're the best. Thanks for joining us. And everybody check out Kristen's reporting on the All-Star Game. It is in-depth and awesome. Big thanks to Kristen Shilton for joining us here on The Drop. Uh, She'll be regular. We're going to have her on uh, a few more times throughout the year. Uh, She's always a lot of fun, very informative. Uh, I will say this. The Final Four scenario where there's four players left and they will be assigned by some mysterious person. Let's just call them a celebrity wish. What if the celebrity comes out and says, you're last and you're going here and just makes a big spectacle about it? Like, (laughs) this person is definitely last. That'd be hilarious. It would be great. I again, I don't understand. I'm I'm with Kristen. Like, I don't think these guys really care. Like, I I think um, it's kind of the, the conversation you have with them about different skill levels and who's good and who's bad. And at the end of the day, the thing you always hear from these players is we're in the national hockey league. Like that is the justification for us being good uh, and being elite in in our sport. And uh, I think it was so overblown. The whole, you're picked last thing. It was just dumb. Completely. So um, the thing that really struck me that, uh, that Kristen mentioned is the three on three women's part of that Thursday night event which is really cool. I mean, I think there was always a curiosity about would the NHL follow through with the vow that Gary Bettman has made over and over again, where if it's one league, one women's league, the NHL would consider some level of support of that league. 
And right here, this is a gigantic spotlight for the PHWL to uh, to do this thing. And um, and it's it's cool to see. I, I I'm I'm intrigued to see what the setup is. I hope the fans in the building support it. And uh, it's it's the kind of uh, bump for women's hockey that the NHL hasn't necessarily given in the past. Uh, so it's 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 you know they they at the very least on paper they followed through what they said they were going to do. Yeah, very necessary, very important. The PWHL will have a presence at All Star Weekend uh, in Toronto in February, and we look forward to seeing what a future relationship will look like between these two entities. So, as Kristen just mentioned, the format for Selection Thursday uh, at All-Star Weekend will be a celebrity puckhead hockey fan will be paired with a NHL player, and they will be co-captains selecting their All-Star teams. So we thought we would do the work for the National Hockey League and determine the optimal, the best, the absolute pinnacle of combinations who now we be... should say we should say Arda that these combinations would be based on actual celebrities and not like the NHL awards level celebrities <laughs> that'll probably be involved in the all-star I mean, game it's, listen listen the all-star <laughs> game is in Toronto I have high hopes I'm setting my bar high okay what, what I'm too. presenting here what I'm presenting here I would love nothing more than to see happen but also I have hope that it could very well happen all right. I, I hear I, what you're I, saying. I, I, listen, I hear what I, you're saying. I am hopeful too. I am hopeful that it is not like the third lead on a CW show as the celebrity picker uh, of teams. Um, yeah. Like and, Arda, and I think... Arda and Wish are not part of the All Star team picking. No, teams. yeah, that's exactly right. That <laughs> the bar is set at us. I think they'll clear that. But these will be. These are some of our like pie in the sky kind of. If we had an unlimited budget and these people wanted to participate in a hockey thing. This is who we would choose. So I'm going to go first. I absolutely 100% believe that Justin Bieber is going to be involved with the All-Star game. Without question. Unless there is some, like, ridiculous conflict. But, like, this event is tailor-made for someone like Justin Bieber to be involved. His hometown, his Maple Leafs, he loves the team. We already know this. And he probably will perform at the All-Star game. So this might be one of his duties Pair him with Austin Matthews. They got a good vibe already. They're going to be a lot of fun. I feel like they would be the, like, that, to me, that's low-hanging fruit, Wish. Yeah, and at the very least, give the kid a chance to design the All-Star jerseys because the ones he made for the Leafs were dope. Those reversible ones, I still think about I like them. I, I like loved them. them. The Drew House, yeah. Um, For me, uh, I want one of the captains to be Sidney Crosby. The celebrity I would like to pair with Sidney Crosby, of course, is Megan the Stallion. Now, I know what you're saying. Uh, Does Sidney Crosby know who Megan the Stallion is? Uh, Probably not. But that's what makes it exciting. Uh, Has he even heard WAP? I don't know. It's possible he has and he doesn't even know who's involved. Uh, I can't give you a solid justification as to why Megan the Stallion should be Sidney Crosby's celebrity partner other than it would be hilarious. But I do think at the end of the day, Arda, that she would make a better general manager than two thirds of the current executives holding the job in the NHL. I also love the just off the board, like Megan the Stallion, like how often has she collaborated with the NHL in the past? None I times. Love the, yeah, that's None what times. I love about them. I like this. I like this a lot. So that would be really cool and refreshing. 
Uh, but my next pick will be somebody that has collaborated with the Chicago Blackhawks a whole lot, but would be extremely fun in this role. Give me Connor Bedard paired with CM Punk, who just <laughs> recently returned to WWE. Uh, Triple H tweeted a picture of both of them together, the Triple H's famous point at the superstar pose they did it together hell froze over according to his tweets but imagine how fun cm punk would be imagine like pro wrestlers in their mind superstars they make things fun they know what showmanship is is and the power of it cm punk would be such an instigator and such a wonderful addition to this whole scenario and guaranteed he would steal the show he would until undoubtedly the team would implode during the game. Someone would try to punch someone else and complain that they're surrounded <laughs> by children. Um, Man, I would like real glass around the boards, real glass around the boards. Exactly. Uh, David Pasternak of the Boston Bruins would be an amazing captain. And obviously someone who has shown in his fashion sense for outdoor games that he has a sense of fun and a sense of whimsy. Uh, I would love to pair him with comedian Bill Burr, not only to give Pasta a loudmouth Bostonian hype man, but to watch Bill Burr grab the mic and roast three dozen players, Commissioner Gary Bettman, and the entire city of Toronto for like an hour during this thing on Thursday night. Worth the price of admission, Arda. Actually, Bill Burr would steal the show. Now that yeah, I think killer. about it, him killer. and CM Punk would go back and forth and it would be epic. <laughs> That's that would be great. Uh, give me Matthew Kachuk. So Matthew Kachuk to me needs to be a part of this. Both, In fact, both Kachuk brothers need to be a part of this. And when we were talking about Phil Kessel earlier being the last pick, I mm -hmm. bet you Matthew Kachuk and Brady Kachuk would lobby to be the last pick. Relish it. They would oh, relish they it. Would, uh, they would yeah. shine. Um, I would pair Matthew Kachuk specifically with Ariana Grande. Uh, I would like to see another Zamboni ride, uh, call back to when she was growing up and going to Florida Panthers games. But even if uh, I, even if Ariana Grande doesn't keep up with today's NHL, it doesn't matter. She's got a connection. Uh, maybe she does. We I actually don't know. But it would be fun to have her there. Uh, great star power. And Matthew Kachuk could lead the personality side of things if necessary. Yeah. So I like that tandem. Also, the joy of seeing Matthew Kachuk openly refer to Ariana Grande's boyfriend as SpongeBob every time he refers to him during the event would be really fun, too, because, you know, Kachuk knows he knows all Kachuk the trolling knows. stuff uh, for me. Finally, uh, Connor McDavid is obviously going to be one of the captains of this thing, although I heard someone make a joke the other day about it'd be really rough if they did all this stuff for McDavid and then he didn't make the All-Star game. Folks, he's going to be fine. The Oilers are going to be fine. He's going to be fine. Uh who do I who do I pair him with though? Obviously, the celebrity I'd like to see Connor McDavid with is Julia Julia Louis Dreyfus from Veep. Uh, someone else whose greatness was constantly being undermined by the incompetence of those around her. You know, <laughs> Connor could relate. Connor could definitely relate. You, you did open a Pandora's box with this, though, because now I wonder if the celebrity has to be a, a, a fan of a certain team. Like if John Hamm is going to be involved, does he have to be with the Blues player? Without question. Yeah, it has to be right. Forever okay. linked. You mean Will Ferrell shows up? He's got to have to be with the King, right? That's the way it works. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're you're absolutely right. Uh, we completely omitted the Rangers on this list, and they have a whole plethora of celebrities: Liam Neeson, Rick Moranis, Michael J. Fox, and our white whale guest on the show, Margot Robbie. Like they can have a whole squad 
showing up to this, uh, which brings us to this conversation about the New York Rangers. All right, we turn our attention now to the Big Apple, the world's most famous arena, Madison Square Garden. The New York Rangers, top of the table wish. I can see you grinning from ear to ear. That's because I can only imagine that you are absolutely thrilled to see the Broadway blue shirts at the very top of the league, leading the NHL currently in points. Uh, But they had a very noteworthy weekend and wish. Why don't we start with the good? What is going right with the Rangers right now? Oh, yeah. Greg Wyshynski, a notorious Ranger fan. So I listen, I saw them play the Bruins over the weekend. It looked great. I mean, it was kind of a weird game. Both teams coming off of previous afternoon games. But again, the Rangers are just firing on all cylinders right now. Their special teams have played great. Chris Kreider might be one of the most underrated penalty killers in the history of hockey. Like we don't talk about him enough in the sense of like his uh, virtues on the on the kill. But he's so good. Uh, they're, they're getting, uh, the performances they need in goal. They're not always been great, but they've been fine. And, uh, they really, uh, you know, carried play against a very good Bruins team, uh, to the point where the Bruins after the game were starting to kind of question their own efforts. Uh, but to that end, the thing that struck with me about that game, Arda and the Rangers moving into first place in the league overall, was just how kind of blase they were afterwards, to be honest with you, like they beat the Bruins. Uh, they're the number one team in the NHL. It's a statement for the Rangers. But if you ask them, it's kind of like, you know, Jonathan Quick said, you know, it's 82 different tests every season. And, uh, you know, Chris Kreider said it wasn't really anything we were thinking about as far as making a statement. Like the closest anyone came to saying it was a statement it was Keandre Miller, who admitted that in the back of your mind, you know, you're playing the Boston Bruins. Uh, so I was I was really struck by not only how good the Rangers looked, but how workmanlike their attitude was to this incredible start that they've had. That's interesting that Keandre Miller said that because a couple of days ago, maybe a few days ago, he said, you know, we knew, we always knew that we had this in us. We just had to unlock it, essentially. I'm paraphrasing, but so he yeah. was sort of. And, and, and he said they're not even like fully formed yet. Like they're yeah. in like the second part of their Pokemon evolution. Like yeah. they <laughs> could still even be better. And I mean, they, they are still missing a couple of pretty big names out of their lineup. So yeah. uh, Rangers are scary good so far uh, in the Eastern Conference and, well, and for, in the NHL in, in total. They are catching all those W's so far this season. Uh, but they're also catching fines. Jacob Truba uh, <laughs> with a wild stick to the head of Trent Frederick, uh, who was not injured on the play. Uh, Truba was fined $5,000, which is the maximum allowable uh, by the Department of Player Safety. A lot of people are calling for uh, a lot more severe of a punishment than that. Why wasn't there a suspension, etc.? What did you make of the play wish? Well, there wasn't a suspension because the way that the Department of Player Safety saw this thing, from what I understand, is that it was Truba and Frederick tangled up. Truba is trying to use his stick to break free. It was kind of accidentally hitting Frederick in the helmet. Frederick was not injured on the play. And so player safety felt, I think, that this didn't rise to the level of a suspension. Now, I disagree with them. (laughs) I think this clearly could have been a game, at least for Truba. Think back to the Halcyon days of 2016, if you will, Ardo Cal. Drew Stafford, then of the Winnipeg Jets, was tied up with Nick Holden, then of Colorado, recklessly swung his stick 
as they broke free and struck Holden in the head. Player safety gave Drew Stafford a one-game suspension for that, saying, while we accept Stafford's assertion that he did not intentionally strike Holden in the face, he is responsible for the consequences of swinging his stick in such a forceful and reckless fashion. Um, I don't know if you saw the replay, folks, but I thought Jacob Truba did swing his stick in a reckless and forceful fashion. You could have easily given Truba a one-game suspension for that. But Arda, the bigger question, the bigger issue for me is the $5,000 fine. I think the problem, the disconnect right now between the NHL's player safety apparatus and the public at large remains this idea that the most money you can find a player is $5,000 for an act like this. I don't understand for the life of me why the NHL and the NHLPA, when they go to the bargaining table, haven't figured out a way to increase the cap on fines. If Jacob Truba ends up getting $50,000, $100,000 for this action, It'll 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 serve in in trying to send the message the league wants to send, which is don't be reckless with your stick, uh, and at least gives him some sort of comeuppance for this action, even if the league doesn't feel like it rises to the level of a suspension and the Rangers losing their captain for a game. I wonder what that maximum allowable should be. You mentioned a couple figures there. Is it a hundred grand? I I feel like it should be something very high and very impactful. Well, the, pro- the problem is, is that most of the guys that get fined, are, it's going to be like couch cushion money for them, right? But but I mean, it, it does at least show a little bit more uh, force behind what the NHL is trying to convey here. So maybe if there is a guy that's making league minimum, uh, he's going to think twice about doing the thing that Jacob Truba did. Uh, bottom line is that, you know, I, I refuse to, to accept that we are going to be stuck with $5,000 cap on fines in perpetuity. I don't understand why the NHL and the NHLPA can't figure this part out to increase the cap on fines because it would solve, I think, a lot of the criticisms that come the Department of Player Safety's way. Power ranking time. We love to do this every Tuesday on the show here on The Drop, wherever you get your audio podcast and the NHL and the ESPN YouTube, by the way. Uh, so you posted a story, great in-depth story, like Kristen mentioned earlier in the show about that Thanksgiving, the American Thanksgiving week cutoff and how important it is historically to be in a playoff position, but how this season, this might be an outlier to that, how there are plenty of teams that could fall out or get back into playoff position, 76% is that magical number of yeah. teams that are in playoff spots will still be there at season's end. So we decided, Wish, that we're going to rank the top five teams that are on the outside as of Turkey Day, and they will make the playoffs by the end of the season. So here are our top five teams in this week's power rankings. All right, number five, the Ottawa Senators. Who It's funny, you look at the standings and you see where the Senators are, then you realize they haven't played a lot of games uh you know they're like a 500 team in the games they've played they still have a lot of upward mobility they're still trying to get healthy um and get some some guys back in the lineup uh you know there's some upward trajectory for the senators team i thought they'd break out like detroit has but they haven't quite done it yet but there's still a lot of time so the senators to me lingering in that area of maybe could jump up to a wild card if things break the right way Okay, number four, the Nashville Predators. Uh, Goaltending has been tough so far for that team, but there's just so many good pieces on that team. You look look up and down the lineup, Philip Philip Forsberg, Roman Yossi. uh, They have been brilliant in spurts, but not 
at the peak form that we expect them to be or have been accustomed to seeing them. But when it's all said and done, they definitely deserve a spot on this list. Uh, and so they land at number four for us. They're rocking and rolling a little bit now. Like I said on the show a couple of weeks ago, when I saw them play a couple of times in person, Andrew Burnett, the new coach of the Predators, has them playing this wonderful back and forth up-tempo game that kind of reminded me of the Devils last year. And and now finally the puck's starting to go in the net more, right? So yeah, they they should hopefully get better goaltending from one of their better goaltenders in the world. Uh, but as far as the offense goes, it really th- it feels like they've kind of cracked the code a little bit as to for, as far as what Burnett tried to have him have him do. Uh, speaking of cracking the code, the Pittsburgh Penguins, number three on our list, our power rankings. Uh, they're on the outside looking in on Turkey Day. They've been playing a little bit better, uh, although you know still lapses here and there defensively for the Penguins. Uh, but you know, not necessarily the dire feeling around the team that I think there was early on in the season. Uh, and of course, when you put Sidney Crosby in sniffing distance of a playoff spot, usually that man is going to drag his team there uh, in any way possible. So the Penguins number three on our list. So I actually switched number one and two <laughs> uh, before the show. So let me take number one. How about you take number two? Number two is the Devils. Yeah, I put the Devils first. I put the Devils first. Look what happened <laughs> when they got Nico Heischer back. They look like the Devils again. Uh, no, seriously though, like they, they still have some, some crazy, uh, bad problems, uh, at times at five on five, but I do think getting Keisher back in the lineup is, is a real big key for this team. They've, they've not looked like themselves for the last few weeks dealing with the injuries to Hughes and to Heisher. Uh, do they still have some issues in the back end? Yeah. Is the goaltending still a problem? Yeah. But, um, they, they, they started to finally kind of look like themselves a little bit. And again, the devil's. I think are a team that a lot of people had penciled into the playoffs to begin with. The gap is not insurmountable. And I, and I think the Devils will ultimately become a playoff team, even if the first couple months of the season were pretty rough. And the obvious choice <laughs> for many people, you have this team in your head right now, and the Devils will be visiting them on December 10th. The Edmonton Oilers. I just don't buy into the fact that this bad start will equal a, not, uh, a non-playoff team. Uh, they have been absolutely lethal since Connor McDavid uh, looked like he was the most upset man in the world on the bench <laughs> uh, a couple of games ago. Uh, they destroyed the Capitals and Ducks in succession, and they have an interesting stretch coming up. Tonight, they're going to face the Golden Knights Tuesday night, and they have some really key games coming up that will be good tests for this 2.0. I'm going to call it the 2.0 iteration of their season uh, with Connor McDavid now getting finding his form again, so I don't yeah. buy the uh, I don't buy it. I think that changes will be made if absolutely necessary uh, if it continues to be bad. But I see the improvements at least from a regular season making the playoff standpoint. I am all aboard for the Oilers making the postseason. Yeah, I mean you have to remember the way that the the playoffs seating was set up on on Turkey Day, which is that. The top three in the Pacific are probably closed off to the Oilers because of how well the Golden Knights, Kings, and Canucks have been playing. Um, but the wild card is wide open for everybody in the West. I mean, the Blues have goalied their way there. The Kraken are an unimpressive team this season. So it, it's wide open for the Oilers to make a run and qualify for the playoffs in that wild card. Get in it. Hopefully try to win it. Um, but yeah, they've looked a lot better. And uh I mean, it can't look any worse. No. <laughs> so, so I think I think the Oilers do have that uh, that path to a playoff berth. 
even if it won't be in the Pacific. I will say though, when doing that story I mentioned, Arda, it was interesting that the the lowest total of teams um, that were in a playoff position at Thanksgiving uh, that and then eventually advanced to the playoffs, it was 11, 11 of 16. That's where the floor is for the number of teams that qualify. I, I think based on what the standings looked like on Thanksgiving uh, and, and how many teams are starting to find their stride or are good teams that we think will eventually find their stride, I think it may be one of those 11 out of 16 years, maybe even 10 out of 16, which would be a record. Um, by the way, the, if the Oilers did rally for a wild card spot, it would be the largest gap of points between a team and a playoff spot uh, under the wild card format uh, that has ever uh, rallied for a spot. The the I think the Dallas Stars did it with like uh, eight or nine points eight, one yeah. year. Even, even the year St. Louis went from worst to first. They weren't as far back from a playoff spot as the Oilers were on uh, American Thanksgiving. So if the Oilers pull this off, they'll have made some NHL history in the process. As we record this, the Kraken are eight, nine, and five in that second wild card spot. So yep. a sub five hundred record, and the Oilers are six points back from them currently. So absolutely a chance for them to gain that ground. Before we go here on the drop, uh, big story in the world of hockey was Mark Andre Fleury wearing. Uh, the indigenous-inspired uh, mask that he was presented. He wore it on the ice, uh, and that mask has now gone on to auction and has, uh, I believe the the number was $15,000 north of that, $15,700. Uh, what a story, Wish, the fact that Marc-Andre Fleury decided, I don't care about the fine, I'm going to wear this on the ice, it's important to me, I want to do this, and we see the result uh, with the money that it ha has raised for charity. Yeah, I mean, there's one one way you could look at this, which is it's sort of the Streisand effect, right? Of or the Mandela effect of of like the idea of you know this mask now getting a, a larger sum of of donation money than it would have had it been not controversial to wear it. But that being said, like, look, we all know that the NHL policy, the blanket ban on things like Heritage Night jerseys and gear and you know, hockey fights cancer, you know, all of that stuff that got caught up in the controversy over Pride Nights. It was a terrible decision to ban that stuff. I mean, it's just a terrible decision. And now what we're seeing that I find very interesting, and Fleury is the latest example, if you go back to Travis Dermott with the uh, with the Pride tape on his stick, now you have Fleury kind of standing up and saying that he doesn't like the policy that would prevented him from wearing this mask. The media took it on the chin during all the pride stuff last season as being like, you're the ones generating all the controversy. You're the ones causing the problem. Well, the beautiful thing that's happened now is that it's now the players who are uh, pushing back on these policies. Dermot making uh, them change the policy on pride tape. Flurry testing the league's policy and coming away with not a fine for him or a fine for the wild in wearing that mask. I, I think what we're seeing is the proper expected course correction of a regrettable policy by the league. And it's the players leading the way. And hopefully we can get to a point where, you know, guys don't have to worry if, oh my goodness, well, I'm wearing something to celebrate indigenous people. Will the NHL find me? Now that we know they won't, hopefully this opens the floodgates for players to really, again, represent the causes they believe in uh, in, in a proper manner during pregame warmups. Yeah, now we have multiple examples, and especially if someone like Marc-Andre Fleury 
is doing this, I think that's going to set a tone uh, greatly for the rest of the league because he's one of the most respected players in the NHL. And for him to go and do this, uh, I think will inspire many others to do the same. So we could very well see many more examples of this happening throughout the season. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Remember Tuesday, Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts, NHL and ESPN YouTube. And enjoy the games the next couple of days. We will catch you on Thursday. Bye.